0: Astrid and Jamila would like to acknowledge that this podcast was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging and we note that this sovereignty was never ceded. Hello and welcome to Anonymous Was A Woman. My name is Jamila Risby, and I'm joined by my co-host Astrid Edwards thanks to the fine folk at Hachette Publishing, at Future Women and of course at Bad Producer Productions. I'm trying to sound cheery everyone but today's theme is heartbreak and Astrid I'm feeling a little heartbroken having been immersed in these books for the last week.
1: Yeah, we chose a hard topic and there is, well, there are some tears, at least on my end this week, given our recommendations and our books to discuss.
0: So can I start by asking you, do you have a go-to book or did you used to have a go-to book that you would read when you were heartbroken?
1: My answer is no, but... It is also, yes. So when anything happens in my life that I can't deal with, I read and I throw myself into the act of reading. Now, sometimes I go back and read old favourites or something I have read before, but it's never one particular book. There is no one go-to book. It is the act of reading. It gives me solace and comfort and kind of a place to hide, to be honest. What about you?
0: I had one back before I met my husband and sort of got to stop being heartbroken all the time. But it's an embarrassing one. So my go-to breakup book was Always Gone With The Wind by Margaret Mitchell, which is a brick of a book, terrible soppy romance. And also looking back with the lens of today, a white woman who was quite wealthy writing about wealthy white slave owners was also problematic.
1: It's a bit icky. Also, Rhett Butler, not a great guy to be heartbroken over.
0: Not a great guy. But let me tell you this. The reason why it was the book that I was always heartbroken by, I would read when I was heartbroken, that is, was because while Scarlett O'Hara has terrible taste in men and is the least self-aware character of all time, she's gutsy and she's brave and every time she is heartbroken, she gets back up again and has another go. And I think that's what I needed in those moments of personal heartbreak, that feeling that no matter how bad things are, I had some kind of power to do something about it.
1: That does make sense. And when we are feeling heartbroken, when we are feeling grief, anything that keeps us going, honestly. I mean, it has a deserved place in someone's day or someone's life.
0: Now, you traditionally do not like reading romances. When do you enjoy reading about love on the page?
1: You're right. I don't like romance. I have always avoided the romance section of the bookstore or the library. I, When I used to be a bookseller in my younger days, I would never, ever recommend someone a love story as such. But that doesn't mean I don't want to read about love and I don't want to read about relationships. I just feel like I want more from a book than just a rom-com or just a boy meets girl that has no interest in me. But I want love and I want love between romantic partners, but I also want love between friends or love between family members or... God, like love for a thing or a cause or an animal or I don't know, like just real emotion. I I want to read about emotion.
0: I think you've really hit on something true just then because traditional romances, and I'm putting that in inverted commas, We don't read them for truth and authenticity, do we? We read them for escapism. There is escapism, you know, they do as much for us as fantasy does in terms of leaving our ordinary lives because people behave so differently in romance novels than they do in the actual world. So is it fair to say that for you you're looking for characters who behave in a human way rather than an imagined way?
1: That is it exactly. I want a story about a character that is feeling deeply. Now, they might be feeling deeply about something that I don't care about, but that doesn't matter. It's about the emotions that they are feeling and that I would like to immerse myself in. If I'm looking to escape into books, we all know I do go straight to fantasy. I I go to like a long form 10 book series that can keep me occupied for quite a while. So I get that imperative. I just don't find that in romance, I find it elsewhere. I know you do love a good love story and I probably should apologize. I mean, I dismissed rom-com before. Rom-com sells really well. And so there are a lot of people who choose to borrow it or to buy it and then to go watch it when it's turned into a movie because that genre gets turned into movies all the time. So I recognize that I am a little bit odd on this one and people are most likely... (laughs) going to side with you on this one, Jam.
0: <laughs> well, it's interesting. I I mean, I separate out the traditional paperback romances, the Mills and Boone type reading, which is not my space. But yeah, I'm most interested in relationships on the page and particularly relationships that are born of love. And, you know, I remember falling deeply for the love story in Anna Karenina. I remember falling deeply for the love story in Rebecca. I remember falling deeply into the love story, which ends up being terrible in Vanity Fair. All of the classics that I read as a kid and then as a teenager, I read them for the love stories, not for the great stories of war or jealousy or triumph. It was for something else. So I think there is something in a love story, but you and I today, Astrid, are well, we're taking a thoroughly modern look at love stories and heartbreak. Astrid, I'm really delighted to share with you in the audience today, Heart Sick by Jessica Stevens. This is a relatively new release and by the very nature of the title, I am going to guess you haven't read it.
1: I have not.
0: So Jessica Stevens is 30 years old, she's an Australian woman. At the beginning of the book, she's gone through a really difficult breakup and we don't get a lot of information about that breakup, but we do know that she started looking for stories and films, books, whatever it might be that could reflect her experience back to her and give her a way to start to Put the pieces together in her mind of the puzzle of the breakup she'd just been through and she found what I suspect a lot of people did is that there are a lot of unhelpful self-help books and a lot of unrealistic romances about but that's not what she wanted she wanted stories she wanted to hear about other people who had gone through heartbreak and to me it it makes me think of that experience of being a teenager or even in my early 20s when I was desperate to have a friend who was as heartbroken as me not that I wished heartbreak on my good friends but I wanted camaraderie in that heartbreak I wanted someone to feel as desperate and despondent as I was about the end of a relationship or the end of a love affair or unrequited love so I really sort of understood that from Jessie Stevens. so in this book she opens with herself and this search for stories and she closes with Herself and her reflection on stories. But the guts of the book has nothing to do with Jessica Stevens. She tells the stories of three people Anna, Claire, and Patrick, who have experienced very different stories of heartbreak but who in some ways are also very similar and there's almost a bit of a three women Lisa Taddeo kind of gist about it in that sense in that she is telling other people's real life stories but she is telling them with a level of detail that it feels like fiction because you almost can't imagine one person telling a near stranger that level of detail about themselves and one of the hardest things they've ever been through.
1: So these three people whose stories are being told, are they all Australian?
0: Yes, they are. So the three, I I want to call them characters. They're not. The three people that Jessica writes about are Claire. Claire's just returned from London to live in Toowoomba, which is where she grew up. She's broken up with her girlfriend, Maggie, in London, who is also Australian. There's, Patrick, who is a sort of lonely boy university student who doesn't know much about love and becomes infatuated with a chick he does a group project with. And then there is Anna, who is married, has a bunch of children, and suddenly realizes that she is actually in love with her best friend and not with her husband anymore. So they're three quite different stories. The book's got a lot to recommend it, but there are some shortcomings as well. So I want to end on a lovely point. So, let me start with the shortcomings. So, each person in the book is presented with a fake name, but Jessica says at the start of Heart Sick, and I'll quote her here, "'I do not invent plot, and I have done my best not to invent feelings. Where human memory has left gaps, i filled the story with colour that seems to fit.'" now I don't have a problem with that as long as you declare it which she absolutely has but there were some times when I felt like I could tell it was colour there were some times where the writing felt deeply authentic and there were times where it just moved into the fictional setup of a story that just didn't quite ring true and there were moments like that that sort of tripped me up and made me go oh is this is this really what happened and it kind of made me doubt The rest of it, which was beautifully told. The other thing that I I struggled with is the book is told in sections. So you hear each narrator once in a row. So it, it goes between each of them, which they were very short sections and I, maybe I'm just slow, (laughs) but I found that I was just getting started, just getting captured by someone's story. And then it was taken away from me and I had to hear about someone else and I had to remember why I cared about them. So it's not so much criticism of the writing, which I genuinely thought was excellent. I just felt like the sections needed to be a bit longer because I wanted a bit more. And I think it was that feeling of being kind of tossed around between the stories was compounded by the fact that not all of the stories were linear. So I think when you've got three characters and you're bouncing backwards and forwards in time, sometimes it just felt a bit much to remember who all these people were.
1: You just said so much there, Jam. I want to go back a little bit. The three people who had been interviewed, they have been de-identified. I assume they are not identified in, you know, the author's acknowledgements or anything at the uh-huh. end. Does the author talk about getting permission or sharing this kind of fictionalised, filling in the the gaps, putting the colour in between the facts of these people's stories. Does she talk about that or are we left to guess how they feel now that they have told their stories?
0: She does talk about that. She says that she gave the final manuscript to each of them to approve, which I really respect. So good on her for doing that because I think when you've told someone else's story for them, offering it back to them in its completion and saying this is what I thought is a risky moment it's a moment where a lot of your work can be undone even if your work is really truthful and honest because that person may well regret things they've said or regret how they said something or how they presented themselves and how you see them can be different to how they they see them from everything I can tell she's gone about this in the best way that you could and I want to reflect on some of the positives because I've started with those small criticisms but this is really beautifully articulated it looks at the minutiae of relationships in a way that I can't think of the last book I read that did that that speaks to the little attitudinal things the tonal things the the way humans interact in the everyday. that says a lot about them but aren't those big enormous fights that end in passionate sex you know what I mean that are that are the little stuff that is frustration when you're tidying up after having breakfast or annoyance with the person who always leaves their towel on the floor or whatever it might be. She captured that really well and in a way that didn't feel trivial, which I think it easily could have. And I felt the intensity of the breakups. Like I really did. And I, I was shocked by them even though I wasn't surprised because I knew all of these characters were going to break up I knew it was going to end in heartbreak because that's the whole point of the book I knew that was going to happen but I still felt shocked because I I did come to care for the for the central characters and to want them to succeed I suppose
1: so if we're talking about heartbreak you have just said that you know you felt something you felt shock and you were obviously invested in the stories how did you feel you know, when you got to the end of each of those stories, when you got to the end of this book, was it an affirming read? Was it a looking at the, the travesty of human love? Where does it leave you as a reader?
0: I suspect that would be very different for different readers, depending on where you're at in your own relationships or absence of relationship. Because for me, look, there was honestly, there was a moment where I was like, thank God I'm not dating anymore. Thank God this is stable and easy and we don't have these giant blow-ups and worries anymore. Part of me thought that, but I think for the most part, it took me back. It took me back to the end of relationships where it felt like the world was over and it felt like I could never be happy again and I'd never love someone else again and there was no possible way out of the dark hole of the end of a relationship. And I'm not saying they were happy memories to go back to, but I was pleased to have a book that brought me there that brought me there with that kind of intensity and reminded me of the strength of those feelings and I know as an author how hard it is to write about things that happened to you a long time ago because the intensity and of the the ferocity of how you feel when you have your heart broken or whatever it might be is very hard to conjure when you're no longer feeling it and so hats off to Jessica Stevens because she really did that she really did do that bringing it back for me and I imagine for someone who had recently experienced heartbreak it would be a very different experience reading this book and I suspect for them it would be a really important healing process of feeling less alone remembering that heartbreak is a universal experience not an individual one and that there's always light on the other side Jam, today
1: I would like to talk about The Mother Wound by Amani Haider. I suspect listeners of Anonymous Was A Woman will recognise Amani's name. In 2015, Amani's father killed her mother in front of her younger sister. This was very public. This occurred in Sydney and, you know, it made the news. It was covered everywhere. There was a public trial. This made headlines. Amani has since written the story of her mother, but it's also the story of her grandmother who was killed in the 2006 Lebanon War. She died in a bomb attack. And this is the story of her children and her sisters. And The Mother Wound is the title of the book, but it also refers to a psychological theory that women carry the intergenerational trauma the genetic inheritance of what has happened in their matrilineal line and that is a lot but it also has a particular resonance because when Amani's mother was killed she was five months pregnant with her first child and she felt all of this whilst she was about to become a mother so this is a memoir and this is a big memoir but this is more than just a memoir I think this book is profound, not just because of Amani's experience, but because of how she has written it and who she is writing it for and how she deals with and discusses very personal trauma, but also how she places what has happened and the domestic abuse that occurred in her family in the public Australian context with the works of Jess Hill and Brie Lee and so many others, this is a contribution to our public debate and how we can make our society and what happens in private homes more safe for women and children.
0: I have a whole lot of questions. I'm going to start by asking, does Armani revisit her parents' relationship? Does she try to understand what that relationship was?
1: Yes, and... She realises that she probably grew up in a home that did have domestic abuse, not necessarily violence, but the threat of financial control, psychological abuse, what was happening behind closed doors that even she as a child in the house didn't see. And as an adult, she is able to go back and think about these things and see the warning signs, the times that her mother tried to tell her, but then kind of didn't want to tell her because what mother wants to tell their eldest daughter that but also what she kind of saw and then dismissed because none of us like to think about it and because we are not given the language to talk about these things with our family members or with anybody who might be able to help us when the person who is being abusive is a family member what do you do? And in addition to that question, what do you do when it is a family member, Amani places this in the context of a migrant family with a very specific cultural community and way of doing things and patriarchal part of the family that very much limited the options of her mother. Amani is a lawyer by training. So this is very well researched and very well written. But Amani is not just a lawyer or a... Writer. She's a painter, isn't she? She is a painter. She was actually shortlisted for the Archibald for a self portrait of herself that she did in like two weeks. This was a, an expression of grief and talent all coming out onto the page. And in this self portrait, she is actually holding a printed picture of her mother holding an image of wow. her grandmother as her mother was grieving her own mother's death in the Lebanon war. And it's a very public comment on what the media understands to be pain and trauma. Armani and her family found out about their mother's death because it was reported on the news as you know the latest bomb attack in a war that doesn't necessarily get covered well in Australia and always appears to be over there. And so this book, reflecting on her mother's murder, is also a way of looking at the grief of losing her grandmother in a war that wasn't well covered here and that contributed to Armani's grief, not really being processed at the time.
0: You said that Armani was five months pregnant when her mother was murdered. Does she try to unpack how that's influenced her own mothering?
1: She does. And not just the mothering of her own children, but almost the mothering of her two younger sisters who moved in and she kind of became the default parent. I mean, one parent is dead at the hands of the the other. They lost both parents in one moment and so she takes on kind of the matriarchal role of the family and as becomes very clear all of their relatives on their father's side basically tell them to get over it and say sorry and don't hold it against their father so their family is halved so there is heartbreak on so many different levels
0: when you were first introducing this book you reflected on who it was for who do you think it is for Oh, look,
1: everyone, but to be more specific about that, I think that this is for anybody who has been paying attention to the public debate about domestic abuse in Australia. I think this is for anybody who is interested in intersectional feminism and, you know, cards on the table. I think that should be everybody. I think this is anybody who enjoys memoir. My experience is that many people write memoir possibly a few years before they have necessarily processed enough of how it feels and sometimes memoirs are very important and relevant but they feel underdone or it feels like you are almost reading trauma porn this is not trauma porn this is a considered articulation of grief of heartbreak of domestic abuse of murder of what all of that means for women and children in our society and this also sits with Amani's artwork. Her artwork is beautiful. I know Sydney has just entered its own form of lockdown, but this book is released in the next week and Amani has a, a an exhibition in Melbourne. I am not sure if she'll be out across the border. I suspect not, but this is a work that has a visual companion, I guess. I don't know much about art jam, but I have found myself on the internet, looking at Armani's art as a way to further interact with this book.
0: That sounds absolutely beautiful. The idea of a visual companion to a work that's clearly had such an impact on you sounds quite perfect. And what an extraordinary woman Armani Hader must be. Astrid, we were just saying off mic that perhaps we needed some cheery recommendations, but While my heart and soul want to do that, this is an episode about heartbreak. And so heartbreak, listeners, you shall have. This week, I'd like to recommend Aftermath on Marriage and Separation by Rachel Kask. This book is written in the aftermath of Kask's 10-year marriage. It's just come to an end and she talks about how life as she knew it becomes like a jigsaw dismantled into a heap of broken edged pieces so this is about her efforts to redefine herself as a single woman and what that's going to mean for her it is raw and angry it is honest but it is deeply critical in its honesty she was torn apart for writing this book for a number of reasons but I think because at moments it is so corrosive speaking about what her relationship has been and how it has fallen apart but I found it truthful not a truth that you enjoy <laughs> but a truth that perhaps some of us need to read as we reflect on relationships that are or that might once have been Astrid over to you thanks Jam.
1: Today I would like to recommend Love Objects by Emily Maguire. We are talking about heartbreak and this is a very different type of heartbreak. In this beautiful novel from Emily, our main character is Nick. Now she's a 45-year-old woman who is very content in her own life. She has her own job, she has her own place, she has her own way of doing things She also happens to have general hoarding disorder and nobody really knows because she keeps people away from her house despite being relatively content with her life. Now, the person that she is closest to is her niece, Lena, and Lena is at university and she needs a bit of help from her auntie, let's say, and she kind of comes more into her auntie's life. And after her auntie, Nick, has an accident, Lena is the one to kind of be the adult and to start making decisions. And this really fractures the relationship between aunt and niece because Lena is essentially trying to push her aunt out of her hoarding. And that is not something that can be done. And so Love Objects explores the pain and the love between aunt and niece and within families and the love of objects and for someone with general hoarding disorder what it feels like when those objects are taken away and the violation that it is possible to experience so there's my recommendation love objects by emily mcguire a different take on heartbreak and a truly nuanced and wonderful read
0: that's it for this episode of anonymous was a woman we so enjoyed your company today we will be back on thursday with an interview with michael muhammad ahmed about well it's about all of his books really he's an extraordinary human being and i think you're really going to enjoy that conversation in the meantime If you want to make sure you never miss an episode of Anonymous Was A Woman, then you need to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or wherever you do listen to your podcasts. If you want to give us a review and a rating nice ones while you're there we would appreciate that you can find us on all of the future women social media if you want to share your reading experiences or your reflections on what we've read today our enormous thanks go to future women and bad producer productions for making anonymous was a woman and also to Hachette Publishing without whom we simply wouldn't be able to do this series Uh, their support as an ongoing sponsor is so greatly appreciated. See you next week.